Welcome to another episode of Social PR Secrets. My name is Lisa Beyer, and I'll be your host. Today's guest is Steve Malley. Steve and I know each other from our mastermind, Baby Bathwater. He owns a marketing agency located in Nebraska, and he is a certified Facebook partner. But that's not it. Steve's title on his LinkedIn profile says activist. And the reason behind that you'll find out in this episode, Steve shares all of his social PR secrets with me, ranging from creativity, secrets behind what works in Facebook ads, what his new project is called, status. I loved hearing Steve's tips on how he combines what's working in digital advertising and applies it to print ads. It's an unbelievable tip and I can't wait for you to hear the rest. Enjoy this episode with Steve. Namaste. Okay. Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Social PR Secrets. I am here today with Steve Malley. Hey, Steve. Morning. How are you? Good, good. So um, I'm coming from Celebration, Florida. Where are you coming from today? I'm in the good life of Lincoln, Nebraska. Yeah. I think everybody from the Midwest, because I'm from the Midwest, this is why I think this is just, everybody's nice. I think that's why I like, you know, like everybody's like smiling and like nice. And so I love talking to people from the Midwest. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, I would definitely agree with our travels throughout the Midwest too. We run into some of the most unique, friendly people as well. Yeah, I haven't been to Nebraska, but I want to check it out. But um, so let's get started. So one thing I really took notice of when I was doing a little bit of background check on you is I love your title of activist. So you have a marketing agency, but talk to me about your title and what that means and a little bit about your background too. Yeah, it was interesting. I came across like 14 years ago, I think it was. And it was somebody that was down in Florida and I saw their business card. I had activists on it. I'm like, oh, this is kind of cool. Like, what's this all about? And he's like, that's exactly what it's about. He's like, if it gets people to ask me, you know, what this actually means and what I do, so I'm kind of going to spiel. I'm like, I think I'm going to borrow that. Um, so on the activist side of it, I also think it fits because a lot of times, like, I want to get my hands dirty on the marketing side, uh, especially with digital. You know, things are always changing on digital. There's always new things that are popping up all the time. And I love being able to test. I love being able to see and what works and what doesn't work and really kind of test it out versus simply, hey, you know, I read about this on this blog and it's supposed to work or it might work. Like, I want the raw data kind of myself. So that's where a lot of the activist side of it comes from. Yeah, I think um, that's one thing that we have in common for sure is I'm, I come from the same mindset and, um, you know, it's hard, you know, from one marketer to another, you know, we're on the, um, the agency side talking to clients and then, you know, clients are a little bit, I don't know, jaded by agencies who come in and, you know, the strategy and takes a few months and you don't really know what you're getting until you're maybe two or three months deep into working with an agency or really, you know, even if you hire somebody. So what my whole philosophy is just so funny. I saw, you know, your title activist is that in month one, we're strategic, but we activate. We are just doing something that is active and showing results while we're also doing the bigger picture strategy work. And it sounds like, you know, you have that same mindset and it's not to say, you know, you're skipping strategy, but you know, there are things that you can do and it sounds like you want, you prove to yourself first that you've done it and that it works before you actually just jump in. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And that's part of it too, is being able to take a look at it again, what is working, what's not working, but also the small little pieces, small little wins we can get up front, mainly just get momentum. 
Because I agree that strategy is a core component. Strategy takes a long time to do a really good strategy, do your research with it. But we talk about that with our team. Like, what are some little things that we can do where the client feels like we're getting some wins as in the background, we're trying to build everything else out. And since we really kind of switched to those models again of, you know, delivering those little wins, it's helped smooth that out that entire process. What are some examples that you could share that, that you've done that maybe other brands might not think of that could, they could just, you know, maybe try it out that you did on an activation side? Yeah, uh, there's one that actually popped up here today as a reminder. It's an RV company um, based actually here in Lincoln. And they came to us and we laid out all of their business cards, all of their print ads on a table. Because not very often do you actually physically lay out everything that you do and visually see it all at once. And it was all over the board. On the business cards alone, there was like 11 or 12 different designs. On the print ads, like nothing fit really kind of together. So as we're building up the strategy, one of the things we did is just did a quick mock-up and some new business cards are inconsistent. Gave that to them. They felt great about it. Um, on the print ad side of it, before we were able to finalize our full messaging, they had a print ad that was due. It's like, all right, well, let us take the foundation and at least clean it up for you. You know, give us the foundations of a good ad to be able to put that in there. And again, they appreciated that because they saw that it wasn't simply just, no, just wait. You know, in three months from now, you can place that. Because obviously, that's not really how media always works and media buys. Um, so that type of stuff worked out fairly well. And again, just helped build that trust early on. And tell us a little bit about your agency. It sounds like you you do a mix of traditional and digital. Yeah, yeah. so we've been around for 16 years here at this point in time. Um, and a lot of it is, and we always talk about the strategy, you know, always needs to come first as we go through anything. So what we take a look at though, is that strategy and messaging and that position and how can we position you in the marketplace um, in a very distinctive way. And we can get in that, uh, into that a little bit later. The different arms of the business itself is about a third of our business is economic development and tourism. So it's either working with communities to simply get somebody to come by and you know spend a night, spend a weekend, or you know move there permanently, set up shop, that type of thing. Uh, we do about a third of our business, just small business, kind of a catch-all majority of that business. Those people do it within about a 30-mile radius of where they're located at, and then another third of our business is more kind of the online side of things on Facebook ad buying, Google ad buying. And with that component, we work with people that have been on Shark Tank in the past. Uh, we work with people that are kind of quasi celebrities in their own space. And a lot of it happens to be the health space is what we've done. Um, we've also helped companies and individuals hit the New York Times bestsellers list and then monetize once they get on the New York Times bestsellers list. Uh, so that side of it's been really interesting and grown quite a bit over the last six, seven years. What are some of the biggest changes in a good way that you've seen in marketing over the past five years, let's say? Just access to data. Mm -hmm. Like what used to cost a bunch of either time or money, resources, whatever it might be. Now you can get, you know, at your fingertips because of the data that Google shares, Facebook shares, that type of stuff. Plus just the targeting, which is interesting in two ways. One being, you know, in marketing forever. It's like, all right, well, I want to target 35 to 44 year old women that live in this part of the U.S. that have a house worth at least $800,000, that have two kids, that drive around a Mercedes, that are registered Democrats, that own two dogs. And it sounds great to get that micro-targeting, but one thing that's changed a lot too, especially in the online world, is Google's algorithm, Facebook's, has gotten so good, is that at times, the best audience, instead of targeting all that, we just target 35 to 65 year old females period. 
And then we allow Google and Facebook to really dive deep and um, really find the buyers or the leads or whatever the goal of those type of campaigns are. But one of the things that we do enjoy about that as well, we've done this a ton, is on print, this traditional advertising, it's expensive to split test. Online, you can split test pretty cheaply. So what we do, if there's a print publication that comes up, for example, is we'll take a look at the best ads that worked for that same audience online. The best ad image, the best ad headlines, the best ad copy, and we use that as a foundation. So it's not necessarily the exact match. You just take, for example, a Facebook ad and turn that into a print ad. I but love you can use that. that image. Oh, it's great, it's golden. You can use that image, you can use, generally speaking, that headline. The body copy might need to be changed based on what you've got going on. Um, but it saves you a ton of cash. And again, if it's worked for these people in the digital world, there's a really good chance it's probably going to work for them in the traditional world as well. Which it's ironic that you probably couldn't do the, the reverse of that. You couldn't take a print ad that was, that was designed for print and turn it into a digital ad. I mean, you could, but it's just not the same. Um, you don't know. That's, that's brilliant. I love that. Exactly. One other thing, talking about like the don't know factor of traditional, is what we do for a lot of times with our clients is we'll buy just different domains um, for a specific print publication or a billboard or a direct mail piece. So instead of being, you know, in our case, mollymarketing.com is in a print piece, we'll have like outsourced to nebraska.com. So now we know all the traffic coming to the site that types that in. And with that domain, we just point it back to our website. There's no new creation of anything. Right. It costs $10 to buy a domain. But now we know that you know, we had 50 people that went to our site from that print publication. Out of those 50 people, we had 10 people follow up with us. So now you can start putting, you know, connecting the dots and seeing where things lead. And so we do that quite a bit for our clients as well, just to get a better idea of tracking. Now it's not direct. It's not one-on-one. It's not like I see a print ad and I can, you know, click on it with my finger, if you will. Uh, but with that being said, is that if they remembered what that domain was and go to your site, you can see patterns and just make adjustments based on those patterns. I love that. I love that. One thing that just came to mind, just being on, you know, the client side of things and reports. So, you know, as an agency owner, we give reports every, at the end of every month. And a lot of times our clients really don't even read it, and, but we want them to. And I think it's just a struggle to come up with the right report for the client that's going to be something that they care about and that they'll read. But if you were on the client side, what advice would you give that you would want to see in a report that would be valuable information? I mean, some things that are reported on, like, it's just does, doesn't matter. You know, it's just not as important as other things, you know, and you can get like your eyes can glaze over with like over reporting. Yep, completely agree. Um, so we've gone through this numerous ways throughout the years. Uh, we have Google spreadsheets set up that will give you all kinds of data. Um, and I like it, but that doesn't mean it means anything to the client, just like you were saying. And we did this, this is probably six or seven years ago. We had somebody in the office that was pulling together this monthly reports for our clients. Well, she moved on and we hadn't quite replaced her yet. And so for about one month, the reports just fell through the cracks. There was not a single client that actually noticed that they didn't get a reporter because again, they weren't, they weren't reading it. Yeah. So what we try to do, we have two different versions. One with some of our clients, we meet up on a weekly basis and we go through kind of that spreadsheet, but I tell the story behind it to give mm -hmm. them you know, some information and stuff that helps. The ones that we don't do it on a weekly basis, we do what we call kind of a pretty report. It's in keynote you know, PowerPoint, if you will. Um, and it really just kind of highlights basics of, you know, impressions and spend and clicks and all that. 
but then we always tried to tie it back to leads or sales, but especially service-based business. So if you're selling a product, a widget, it's super easy to say, hey, I spent X amount of dollars and we got you know, X amount of sales mm-hmm. for an ROI. For service-based business, it's different. So a lot of times with our clients inside of that report, up front, we ask, all right, for the leads that you typically get, what's your close percentage of those leads? All right, out of those leads that close, what's their value to you in the next 12 months? So then we just use that as a formula. It's like, all right, now we know we got you 10 leads. You close 10%, so you got one sale potentially off of this. And then the average value to you is a thousand bucks. So it kind of helps paint that picture of ROI. Mm-hmm. And then that's also percentages that we can change. The client's like, hey, and actually this happened just a couple weeks ago. We're now closing 15% of our business. It's like, perfect. Let's just update that formula to you know, better reflect exactly what that ROI is. Because at times they fall in love with the vanity numbers. But what does that mean to me as a business owner? And what does that mean in pure leads, potential revenue, or real revenue for selling something um, online that somebody can buy right away? But that's what we try to We also try to keep it pretty short, sweet. Like I know there's ways to automate it through Google, but when we're pulling these reports, it takes maybe 20 minutes of our time uh, to really kind of put it inside the template and the feedback we've got on it is really solid because it's just, it, it speaks to them much more than just a bunch of numbers on paper. Yeah. We um, kind of did something similar where it's more of an infographic and then we have the spreadsheets and everything to back it up if anybody wants to go deeper, but it, we feel like they're reading this, the, the one pager infographic more than they're reading the detail, you know, the, like just all the nitty gritty yeah. stuff. Um, yeah, I like that. Yeah, yeah. So I know you've been working on a bunch of projects and one of them is what kind of brought us here today because we were hit with COVID and you started this Facebook group that you invited me to. So can you share with us that? Because I, I, that's, that's an example of your, you being an activist. You just, we were, you know, under a crisis situation and you started a Facebook group to help everybody through it. Yeah. Oh, thanks. Um, it was one of those things when the COVID hit and it really kind of started hitting us like March 15th. And within three days, we lost 40% of our booked business. And so I'm sitting there kind of giving myself a, a pity party, if you will, for about a day, um, trying to figure out, you know, what the hell do I do? And then kind of realize, along with another partner of mine, is like, we have some pretty good networks. What we always talk about, like, we don't need to have all the answers. We just need to know where to go for those answers. And come to realize, you know, a bunch of people are kind of like that. So we started a Facebook group. Um, last I checked, I think it's 280 people, something like that, that were in the group itself. And we'd meet up on a weekly basis. We met up every Friday morning for a while and we'd bring in guest speakers. We'd bring in people that have been through crises in the past and how they've dealt with it. Um, business leaders were, hey, this is a great opportunity to kind of shift and change and um, you know, just take a look at your business as a whole. And so there was a ton of things that kind of popped out of those conversations. And we would have, you know, some calls we had 55, 56 people on some of the calls. And there were so many nuggets that came out of these conversations to help other people out. But like I said, selfishly, like, I don't know what the hell to do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it helped bring a bunch of clarity to me really at the same time too. And it was a cool little group that, that kind of came together to help support everybody and, you know, just give them insights on, hey, this is working out really well for me. Consider this. Um, and again, with any type of crisis like that that hits, is it just gives you a good opportunity to really reflect because I feel at times we don't always do the best of you know, reflecting and allowed you to really start making some changes. What you can control, let's make some changes to what we can control. And also realizing there's a lot of stuff we can't control. Yeah. It'd be awesome if tomorrow we can control the COVID goes away, but obviously that's not taking place. 
Uh, but once you kind of let go of it and realize, you know, it's here for the foreseeable future, um, and you can really just focus on things that you can really change and grow from. What were some of the things that you took away that from, from that group that you learned and applied to your business that maybe you could share with us? Yeah, a couple things. Going back to the control thing, um, we literally took out a piece of paper. And it was Rhonda Britton, which you know her through Baby Bath. Oh, Rhonda, she's yeah. The one, yeah, she's the one that got on and talked about it. Got out a piece of paper, drew a line right down through the middle. She says on the left side, write down at the very top, write down what I can control. On the other side, write down what I can't control. And she's like, let's spend five minutes creating a list. And you find out real fast what you can't control is four or five, six things. What you can control is five to six times more things. So that was one of the kind of eye-opening um, experiences we had, which was great. And that was right away. The other component was over-communicating, especially now uh, for those that are used to an office setting that are now in a virtual setting, is if we're alone, we happen to have a lot of conversations with ourselves over and over and over <laughs> and over again. And sometimes we make that assumption. He's like, well, you know, we've had that conversation already. Like, mm-hmm. no, you know, we haven't, you know, myself in my mind has. And so it's really over communicating again and again and again and again um, and just painting a very true picture. We did uh, an employee survey here about a month ago, just kind of get a better idea of where our employees stand. And one of the things they said they respected was, that, you know, even on the financial side of it, is I've been very open on, you know, where we're at, where we're standing and where we're going. Um, and they said that just kind of helped get some more faith and, oh, okay. Like, you know, they thought of this through, they've, you know, experienced some of this and this is what we're going to do kind of because of it and just gave them some more comfort. So the over-communicate was definitely one of them that pops out um, quite a bit. The other side of it, I thought this was good. And again, each one of these, it, I, obviously it popped up because of COVID, but it applies outside of it too, um, is people aren't always looking for a solution. And again, like I always want to give people a solution you'll be able to help out. And a lot of times they simply just need a sounding board and just to be there, to be their sounding board, to allow them to get things out and allow them to think things through. Um, and I've noticed a huge difference when I go into some conversations, not thinking, hey, you know, I can help them, I can solve this. Like that's not necessarily what they're always looking for. They're just looking for you to really be present. And uh, again, just kind of listen to what they have. And if you have some advice, some insights, awesome. There's numerous times when people are talking about stuff out loud is they realize some of the things that they need to take a look at and can really kind of come up with their solutions themselves. Yeah, I totally agree. And it, I'm sure that that helps reduce some um, anxiety that by not talking about things, you know, people are just thinking things in their head and doing this vicious cycle and then thoughts, you know, turn into, you know, bad feelings and that could, you know, anxiety leads to depression, which is, you know, with mental health right now is suffering in a huge way because, not everybody is as lucky as maybe your employees are to have, you know, somebody like you that's over communicating and, and, you know, sounds like you're really there for them. And some, some people, you know, just don't have that at all and are really suffering because of the isolation, because of the pandemic, because of, you know, whatever might be happening, you know, everybody is having some sort of a ripple effect. Absolutely. There's a good friend of mine that lives in Hawaii and I've noticed on Facebook over the last probably month or so, kind of going off the deep end a little bit, if you will, mm-hmm. to the point, like, I don't know if I can still follow him. Maybe I'll put him on snooze for mm-hmm. 30 days. Well, right before I put him on snooze, he had a pretty good post um, saying that they're moving back stateside, mainly because they can't have any visitors come. You know, they can't go anywhere. A lot of their close friends have moved actually off of the island 
And he just realized, you know, it was the mental health aspect of it. Mm-hmm. It just wasn't in a good space, a good spot. And then he realized that, hey, you know, I could change it by just kind of going back to home, if you will. Where yeah. Where came from. Yeah, it's, it's a tough balance. Tough, tough balance. Yeah. And I also feel like, well, it sounds yeah. like you've been on Facebook since Facebook started, right? Personally and then yep. business-wise. And it's just from a being on on Facebook personally, like it's changed so much from what it started. Like I remember being on Facebook and being like this like small community of, you know, not everybody was on it. And now it's like so many people are on it. And, you know, I have way too many probably friends, followers that I don't, you know, know most of them, a lot of them personally. So it's just, it's become hard to be on Facebook personally because you just, um, you see a lot of, um, I don't know, it's just, it's not as happy of a place, but I love Facebook from a marketing standpoint. It's awesome. And it's also awesome for friends and family that you are very close to, but then there's just things that can either like hit you the right way or the wrong way. Yeah, completely agree. That's where the snooze button or unfollow yeah. button comes in handy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But even Facebook themselves, they're trying to make that shift and really pushing people towards groups to get yeah. back to that smaller community. Yeah. Like you just mentioned. And they're spending a lot of their advertising dollars really pushing that pretty hard. Yeah. And I, I think that's smart to make it, to really make it, a, it's a, such a large community, but make it a smaller community. What are some of the exciting positive things that are happening with Facebook marketing that you see? Uh, overall, I kind of hinted at it earlier is the pixel has gotten just so smart. Uh, we, funny thing is we're beta testers for Facebook. And so they came to us probably about four months ago and they wanted to do a beta test for one of our clients. And they're explaining how they want to be set up. And in a nutshell, without nerding out, one of the keys was, hey, we, so the, the client that we were going to do this test on, their buyers, generally speaking, are between 25 to about 44, huge outdoor enthusiasts, runners, bikers, hikers, all that type of stuff. What they wanted us to do is just target everybody over the age of 18. And that's it. Like no interest layering, no male, female, no nothing, just everybody over the age of 18. And they gave us 3000 bucks to, to do this test. I'm like, fine, it's Facebook's money. It's not our client's money. Like, sure, we'll do this test. Mm-hmm. What we're getting on average, you'd give about a three to one ROI. Consistently, we're getting about a four and a half to one ROI. Again, four months later, by just making that change, because again, the pixel has gotten so smart. So we've tried it on numerous other client accounts and really kind of the same solution has popped up again and again. And so that's one thing that's changed. It's been really kind of interesting and really kind of fun. Now we still try to nerd out to see if we can get a little niche with some stuff, mm-hmm. but knowing if we have that one running and it's running well, it gives us some opportunity to really kind of test and see what else is really out there. So the pixel is getting smarter and smarter every day. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. I know that you also said you're working on another project. Can you share with us that project, the status? Um, it, yeah. So it's interesting. My creative director, that he tends to go and deep dive into academic studies. And the reason why it's academic studies is there's a bunch of studies out there. It all depends who sponsors it on quote unquote, whose truth it is. If that makes sense. So the perfect example, there are studies out there that show that smoking is actually good for you. Well, it's sponsored by Philip Morris. So obviously they're going <laughs> to give you the study on the academic side of it. It's not necessarily as tilted. And so he goes through rabbit holes and one of the things that he popped up, this has been fourth quarter of last year, which is the importance of status overall on decision-making, um, our day-to-day decision-making. 
And so we're pulling together kind of a presentation and we had some conferences lined up that we're going to go through the spiel. And, you know, obviously a lot of conferences are postponed at this point in time. But a lot of times when people think about status, they think about money um, or having a lot of money, wealth, that type of thing. But the more we really took a look at it, um, it's just little signals that we put out in the marketplace. And a lot of it we don't necessarily mean to, if you will. But where the status comes from originally was kind of our reptile brain that always takes a look at, you know, good or bad, you know, I'm in harm, fight or flight. And so our reptile brain is always prejudging. We don't mean to, it's just always going on all the time. And so when it comes to this status and, you know, it's kind of signifying some of it, it comes back to the reptile brain and really giving signals of like safety or trust. Um, a couple of examples of this, it could be anything from, you know, I'm a sports fan of a Nebraska polo on here right now. And if somebody sees this, they're like, oh, okay, he's a sports fan and he's maybe from Nebraska or Nebraska fan, but it potentially could give them some kind of comfort. And that's a really kind of simple way to put it. Um, but it's another thing when um, the uh, the iPhones came out, their iPods, excuse me, came out where they had the earbuds, the white earbuds. That was a form of status. You know, not only do I have a new phone, but I have or an iPod, I have a really nice one. But those white wires really kind of signified that. It's the reason why people eat at certain restaurants or don't. Um, even at the end of the day, it's the reason why somebody might shop at REI versus Cucabellos. Largely speaking, they sell about the same stuff. But, you know, some people see status with Cabela's and feel like that's their community and they fit into that community much more than REI, for example. A couple of things on how it really kind of impacts us on the tourism and economic development side of it. You know, there's a lot of times millennials, and when I say millennials, we always have a joke in the office, is that most of the time when people talk about millennials, they mean like anybody younger than them, you know, <laughs> even if they're, you know, 35, 45, 55. Um, but this is actually the demographic that some tourism spots have become just huge attractions, not necessarily because anything changed, but they would take photos and post photos again and again and again of that tourism attraction or of that food. And again, it's another kind of status symbol, if you will. Mm -hmm. And so areas of, you know, national parks are going really well right now because of COVID, but even pre COVID, there were certain parts of national parks that they would have huge crowds they've never seen before. And it was mainly because they would see that image in that spot again and again, and people wanted to re relive that. That status. Yeah. Yeah. It's like exactly. a, the status update. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Yep. So it's cool. And like how much it really influences our buying decision. Now, when it comes down to, uh, you know, purchasing bedding, if you will, or toilet paper, like we don't think anything about it because nobody sees, generally speaking, nobody sees our bedding or type of toilet paper but anything that's more public facing, um, even like the cars that you drive. And I'm not talking about like a Mercedes. I mean, obviously that's a good example of status, but that falls into that wealth bucket that all times people think about, but even like a Subaru and the story that owning a Subaru tells ourselves and tells other people, the story of even going to buy flannel, you know, for a jacket versus, you know, a pullover or whatever it may be, that tells a story not only to yourself, but to somebody else. So it's really kind of getting deep into that status. And we're finalizing the presentation now, but it's, from my perspective, it's super interesting how much that just really dictates our day-to-day -day habits that we don't even think about, that we don't realize. And as a marketer, how could, just, what are some ways that we could apply that as a layer on top of like maybe persona building or targeting? So a lot of it comes down to community and what do I want to signify to my community? 
and using those stories around that. Hey, if you want to be a part of this one type of community, this overall um, is, you know, what you have to wear to signify you're a part of that community, or you know enough to be a part of that community, um, or talk about, or, you know, places to go to. But to think it through in your buyer persona is who do they really want to be? What's the story, generally speaking, they're telling themselves? And what's the story they want to tell other people? And especially under, understanding that story of what they want to tell other people, it helps you out with messaging, helps you out with positioning. Uh, if you do long-form content at all, it literally helps you tell the story of the direction that you want to be able to go. Because at the end of the day, people relate to stories, and stories really kind of pull them in. And the adage of, you know, people don't read long-form copy, they don't watch long-form videos, it's a bunch of crap. Like, I got data all day long that will prove that. Um, and the reason is that it's a good story. People watch a 10 minute video, 20 minute video. They'll read, you know, a five minute blog article, if you will. I mean, just like your podcast, in 20 minutes to 30 minutes, if you have a good story, people will hang on to it and listen and complete the whole thing. So do you think the story is the secret to creative and messaging? I really do. I really do. Because if you have a story around it, it gets you out of the way. What I mean by that a lot of times is marketers or salespeople we tend to talk about ourselves too much. Yeah. If we have a story, it's all about the consumer. It's all about the person. And it focuses directly on them. Because as a consumer, we don't care about your company. We just care about us and like how your company might be able to benefit us. So those stories really allow us to kind of get deeper with that and make sure it is consumer focused and not just company focused. Yeah, I totally get that. So do you have any tips? I mean, besides just the broad, the story is the secret to creative and messaging. You are creative. Um, what are some tips you can give on creativity when it comes to marketing or even just spe specifically Facebook ads? Yeah, there's a couple of things to take a look at. Um, neither one of them is like overly sexy, if you will, but it's tried and true and it works again and again and again. Uh, one is just call like some of your favorite clients and just have an open-ended conversation with them for 10 minutes about who they are, kind of their background, what they, why they buy from you, what else do they buy, you know, maybe what they bought before they met you, you know, what might they buy afterwards. But these open-ended conversations, you'll start to see patterns in language and messaging. And so those patterns, you simply just take exactly what they're already telling you and just flip it back around to the, you know, the greater, uh, audience they're really trying to market to the other side of it is even taking a look at reviews of its physical product um or i guess even service based because obviously services will have reviews too just take a look at reviews inside of that market itself inside of that industry and to see what people are talking about what they like what they don't like what's good what's bad all that and again it gives you a bunch of nuggets on the messaging side of it that you can take and really drive your entire marketing and creative behind it I love that. Those are great tips. It made me think of also when you're talking about stories and your brother has some great stories. He's like, I think like <laughs> I, I get his emails and I'm going to invite him to be a guest to interview him, but like his story about the belt and <laughs> like, it's just, so funny. just hilarious, but it just really makes you just, you know, people just love stories and they love being authentic. They love feeling like what you're being told is authentic and, um, I think that that, like you said, like that's a big, either it's a big win or a big miss for brands if they're too focused on not telling the story and just into like the product and the features and the benefits. 
Yeah, it makes you a lot more relatable. And if you're more relatable, you're more approachable. And if you're more approachable, you're going to get, generally speaking, more business. Did you always think that you were going to be an entrepreneur and an agency owner or something like this? Yeah, so it was interesting. And if you take a look at mom, dad, and all my aunts and uncles, which is about 10 total with everybody, is out of all of them, eight of the 10 are entrepreneurs. So the only ones who were not was my aunt, who's a stay-at-home mom, and then my mom, who worked for the government, which is about as far away from being an entrepreneur as you can get. Um, but with that being said, like that's what I grew up around. And I didn't know that people did not want to their own, own their own business until I was 16. I was in an economics class, and I was talking to Haley. Anderson was her name at the time. And I was chatting with her, like what she wanted to do when she graduated from college. She's like, well, I want to go to the university, get a degree in whatever it was. And then I just want to be an assistant at like a Fortune 500 company. And that was the very first time in my life that I realized not everybody wanted to own their own business. It's just what I always experienced and what I always saw. So I knew I was going to do it. I ended up doing it quicker than I thought. You know, my, I thought I was going to go work at an agency for six, seven, eight, nine years, get some experience, and then break off on my own. But it was one of those things when I graduated that I had job offers, but everything in my mind was very cubicle-based. And that just sounded horrible. Plus, in my mind, the most money I ever made in college was 12000 in a year. And I figure if I made more than $12,000 on my own, it's more money than I've ever made in my life. <laughs> and so the first year we did, we did 16000 in total revenue. And I didn't even know what the hell the difference was between total <laughs> revenue and profits and margins and all that type of stuff. But I was happy. Yeah. So that's what really kind of got us start. And it was an agency doing what you're doing now? Or what, what type of business was it? It was more video production. So we did some online videos, corporate videos, training videos, wedding videos, that type of stuff. And so we did that route for about three years, four years. But my background was degree-wise in marketing. My work experience, uh, there was a company I worked for, a software company that I worked for um, when I was in college. And they were getting ready to expand in South Dakota. And so the owner came to me and was like, hey, you're in marketing. Figure out how to market ourselves to, to you know, our expansion in South Dakota. And so that was a great experience because it allowed me to really kind of put the, the trades to, to use, if you will. I fell in love and I knew that's the direction I always wanted to go. But video is a kind of easier way in, I would say. Um, but over the last 12 years, it's been more on the you know the strategy side and the development side and media, media buying and positioning and that type of stuff. That's awesome. Well, the way that we met was through a mastermind called Baby Bathwater. And what, how has that um, made a difference, something like a mastermind and are there any other types of groups or sources that you kind of turn to to help in, on that end of your business, the, the business entrepreneur side? It's funny because I was talking to a banker about it today. Is They were looking at my P&L and they were trying to uh, get a better explanation of professional development. So last year in 2019, 8% of our total revenue went back to professional development. That was for myself, for my crew and all that. We just were huge believers. The more that we grow individually, the more we're going to grow as a company. But I also look at it as a resource for potential sales. Because once you get to know people and you get intimately know them, especially baby bathwater, super good at creating that type of atmosphere, is a business just flows really well. And so I look at it both sides of it. Um, you know, we're gaining a ton of knowledge. What it might take us decades to experience. You know, a lot of those people can break it down into days really for us. Um, but the other side, last year, about 37% of our total revenue came from, you know, a connection we made in a mastermind. So Baby Bathwater is one of them. Um, another one that was in for quite a while was Vistage International. And so there's Vistage groups all over the place. Um, took a look at joining EO, 
right before COVID hit, and mm -hmm. it's something that I'm gonna explore a little bit more, um, just because there's so much value in, in both sides. Again, just the personal growth, the business growth, and the business opportunities that arise because of it. Definitely, yeah. The other one that I was part of um, before Baby Bathwater was, um, it was more of an agency mastermind, and I was part of that for about, I don't know, seven or eight years and it was just a group of agency owners that were in non-competing markets and we got together three or four times a year in different locations and it was almost like having an extended board of directors but i mean any industry could do it it doesn't have to be necessarily you know just agencies like us it's there's all kinds of businesses in our mastermind it's not specifically for agencies and i just feel like without that i don't know how i would you know it's it's a lonely world owning your own business if you don't have if you don't have a mastermind group or some sort of professional group to to lean on and trust. Absolutely, and the thing I like about the group because, like you said, when you're the owner, is it's not like you have a boss per se. Uh, but if you're in a group, you have a whole group that helps basically keep you accountable. Yeah, it helps to really stretch you and stretch your thinking and all that. And it's it really is a godsend. Yes, definitely. Any other sources besides masterminds that you lean lean into that you could share with us? Maybe some people that you follow on social media or blogs that you subscribe to? A couple of them that uh, do well. One of them is the Morning Brew. And the Morning Brew, it's a daily newsletter. I know it doesn't necessarily cover a mastermind type of thing. No, um, but, just, yeah, but it, gives, yeah, it gives you highlights of the previous day when it comes to financial markets. Uh, the economy, anything happening government-wise, um, just anything kind of happening in the world. And they're very snarky the way they write. So it's a good entertaining read. So I read that on a daily basis. They just released over the last couple of weeks, Marketing Brew. And that comes out, I think it's three times a week. Um, same story. You know, they do deep dives into different things that agencies are experiencing or media buying or whatever it might be. Uh, one that I really do respect a ton that I read quite a bit of his stuff and follow quite a bit of his stuff is Justin Brooks. And he does a lot, especially on the Google side of things. Mm -hmm. uh, but I've met him numerous times through my brother and he's just a good, caring dude. So it's not one of those things that he's putting all this out there in order to make a bunch of money and doesn't really care about people. Like he really, really does it for people to really help people out. So I love how he writes copy. I love the insights that he's able to share on the ad buying. So that's one of them that I do follow on a really consistent basis overall. I subscribe to Wake Up Call by Ad Age. And it's, I don't know if you've ever, it's, it's actually, I, and I just get the highlights every morning, but it's definitely um, kind of like what you need to know <laughs> each I like morning. That. What about Facebook? Are there, what are some of your favorite sources for Facebook? Obviously your brother is a good source. You're a good source, but you're a certified Facebook partner. So where do you, how do you keep your staff trained? That's a good question. Um, with answer a couple of ways. One with our Facebook rep is once a quarter is we'll do a training session with our staff just to make sure that the staff hears it from somebody besides me as well. And then Meredith is our rep and she can go really kind of deep into some of that stuff. Um, Kat Howell has had a group for a long time and numerous different types of groups. Yeah. Um, and so we dive into that to be able to see, you know, what are agency owners seeing or are they experiencing any type of like buyers, if you will. Like one of them that we're seeing right now on dynamic ads on Facebook, sometimes they'll get served literally without an image, without a headline, without a link to the website, like just some goofy bug. Well, the nice thing is since we're in some of those groups is that we hear about it pretty quick, we can make adjustments really pretty quick. 
Um, so that's where a lot of it kind of comes into play. Uh, the other side of it on Twitter, there's a lot of people I follow on Twitter, organizations that you know, kind of highlight some different things are happening in the marketing place um, and you know, some insights and that type of stuff. Maybe you can um, just maybe send me some of those and I can share it in the show notes of some of the, your favorites for Twitter. Um, yeah. I was just going to ask one other thing. Um, so for Facebook and just, or just in general, you said that you, you um, invest in professional development. So for your staff, are there certain conferences that, you know, even though there's not conferences ha- happening now, what type of professional development do you um, do for your staff? So since we do so much in tourism and economic development, is we'll go to quite a few of those conferences throughout the Midwest um, and make sure that we have the staff that goes into the, you know, the conference itself and not just sit back at a booth. Right. Um, traffic and conversion has always been a really good one. And that one got pushed back now to December. And we'll see what happens there. Yeah. Um, it sounds like that'll kick off again in the fall of 21 as well. Um, oh, and then also we started traction in EOS for the company here about 18 months ago. So that's where a decent chunk actually of our professional development budget goes towards is that. And that's made a huge difference for our company. Huge difference. In what way? Um, it forces us to hold conversations on a very regular basis. So we always did a morning check-in with everybody, either physically or now virtually, um, to talk about projects and all that. But with traction, it forces you to really go through and think on a weekly basis for an hour and a half. What issues are we facing? What do we need to address? What do employees need to be made aware of? And it's a running agenda. And we have that time blocked out. It cannot be scheduled over. It's just with my senior team. But it's one of those things that if you have an outlet like that, you'll be amazed at how many issues you need to bring up. And when I say issues, I'm not saying that it's always like a negative issue. Um, it could be a very positive. Or an idea. As well. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And allows them to really kind of go deeper into that. So we have that dedicated time. And the way that I look at it is some of the issues would pop up eventually, you know, maybe a month from now, maybe three months from now, maybe whatever. But again, this forces us on a weekly basis to take a look at it and address it, talk about it, making decisions. And once you make decisions, move quickly and really kind of put it into action. So I'd say that's been one of the biggest turning points for our company uh, without traction, especially when COVID hit, like we would have survived, but it would be a completely different sense of survival. Um, and so that's been a big, been a big difference for us. That's awesome. That's very inspiring. Thank you for sharing that. Thank you, ben. Thank you, ben. Any podcasts that you want to share with us that are kind of a must, must tune into or your favorites? It's funny with podcasts, I really ebb and flow. Um, so for about a year, I'll listen to a bunch of podcasts and then for another year, I'll just listen to a bunch of audiobooks. And one thing I noticed actually, uh, since COVID, I'm not traveling nearly as much. I used to have a bunch of windshield time. Is I've even been behind on you know listening to some books and podcasts and, and all that. So right now I don't necessarily have a go-to that I listen to on a very, very consistent basis. Okay, awesome. Well, thank you so much for all this very inspiring insight. Is there any last bits of social PR secrets that you want to share? Wisdom? Um, I'd say the only one, kind of the last one, um, and again, goes back to the academic studies that I just pulled out, is a lot of times in marketing, they talk about you need to be different, you need to be different, you need to be different. The study came out, in a, and they took a look at companies across the world, and only 6% of companies were truly different. Most of them are close to you know, pretty much the same, but if you want to take a look at Tesla as a good example of being different or Apple, that type of stuff. 
So it's not necessarily about being different. It's just how do you, how can you be distinctive? You know, what can you put in the marketplace? What can you do that's distinctive, that's memorable? And it literally could be, you know, my sales guy ended up doing this, just growing kind of a thick, goofy mustache and it sticks out. It's distinctive. Uh, we've done it before with like an orange puppet for kind of a, a corporate type of audience. And you're not going to see an orange puppet, you know, at all in a, you know, print publication going towards corporate people, but it makes you stop, makes you become just distinctive and really kind of get noticed. Okay. So it makes um, me think of your brother again. Can you just tell the belt story really yeah. the short version? <laughs> this is, I just, every time I picture Kurt, I just, it's the belt. That's <laughs> so funny. So with him, he went to a media buyers event probably 18 months ago ish here at this point. And it was some of the best media buyers overall, Facebook, Google media buyers. And they flew out, I think it was in New Jersey. And right away, the guy that was hosting the event put this belt, like this WWE, you know, like boxing belt, if you will, on the table. He's like, all right, whoever delivers the most value this weekend wins this belt. Well, the backstory is, uh, it's, so I have an older brother and I have a younger brother. So there's just three of us. And we would always wrestle. We'd always box. So my mom bought us a belt. And so we'd always try to fight over that belt all the time. So once that belt hit the table, my brother's like, oh, <laughs> I got this. I'm going to win this. And what he did, he just over-delivered value. And so he ended up winning it at the end. And so what he ended up doing was taking the same strategy he shared in that private group and just started sharing it really publicly. And so he's called it the belt method. And you know, he's built the story behind it. You know, the B-E-L-T all stands for something um, really overall. And it's been pretty funny because it gets popped up, you know, brought up all the time just like this to the point of annoyance but that's because i'm family i'm his brother um but it's worked out really really well well it's a great example of standing out and being distinct and being different and you are too and like you guys are super successful and so i just am honored to have you as a guest today and tell us where if somebody wants to follow you where's the best place to get in touch reach out on social and your website um, so website's mollymarketing.com, M-A-L-Y marketing.com. On Twitter, it's just Steve Molly. Um, and then on Facebook, it would just be Molly Marketing. It'd be the best place to kind of see some of the different works that we're doing, highlighting different packages, you know, be able to share, hey, this worked out really well. You could take this little nuggets they make and really kind of take and, and roll up. I think it's the best places to find us. All right. Well, thank you so much, Steve, for being part of Social PR Secrets. And hopefully you'll come back and be a guest another time and give us an update on what's happening with status and everything else. Absolutely. I appreciate the time. Thanks. Thank you for listening to this episode of Social PR Secrets. If you like what you heard, check out the book on Amazon or follow our blog at socialprsecrets.com. This episode was sponsored by The Buyer Group, a social PR agency striving to keep our balance in the digital world, practicing public relations, social media, and search marketing, while occasionally drinking a glass of wine or two for the best creativity and results. Thank you all for tuning in. If you would like to get a free chapter of Social PR Secrets, go to socialprsecrets.com free.